Welcome to the fifth edition of Behind the Helmet, where we're joined by Indy Lights winner, Stingray Rob. I'm your host, David Hoffman, and I'm joined by the driver of the number two Ford and Auto Autosport, Stingray Rob. And Stingray, it's been a long time, but we're back finally. How have you been doing? I've been doing good, David. Thanks for having me back on the show. A lot's happened since the last time we talked. Yeah, a lot. Yep, life-changing things. Uh, <laughs> I guess we're kind of going into it. You know, you wrapped up the season second in points, um, and Obviously, you won your first career Indy Lights race, Laguna Seca, the first race there. Uh, I guess first off, assess that race in, in particular. Yeah, I mean, going into Laguna, I knew I had to get a win finally. I mean, that was the last weekend to do it. I mean, it's double header, so I know we had a good shot. And Laguna is one of my favorite tracks in the world. And so I knew I was going to at least be able to, you know, have some fun there. Um, and I like the West Coast races. I mean, it's kind of like my home home event being from Idaho, it seems like I do better on the West coast. I don't know if it's because friends and family are there or if it's just closer to home or what, but it, it was a good weekend. And you pretty much dominated that race started on the pole. Uh, you finished like almost 11 seconds ahead of uh, Christian Rasmussen. Just, I mean, this final, I, what's more tough. Is it, what's more tough as like a driver is like chasing down someone or trying to win a race from the pole. I feel, I don't know. I guess there's kind of a pro and con for both. Yeah, I think it depends on the track. At Laguna, it's definitely easier to win from the pole. Um, and I think part of that is just like the the track layout, it, it really favors the lead car. Uh, it's really hard to follow closely, which we saw in race two. Like, I think I had a bit more pace than Christian, um, but the arrow wash is just so massive. I mean, especially through um, like turns three, four, and six, uh, down through nine, um, just anything that's like over 100 miles an hour at Laguna Seca, it seems like the car just feels like it's on ice when you're behind a car in front of you. Um, so like I, I could close within a second, but you know, to get a move done, you got to be within at least a half a second, um, in order to engage the push to pass and, uh, have it be effective enough to, to get by someone. So, um, yeah, leading there was a much better option as well as like the, you get to control the pace a little bit more because the tire deck is just so high. Um, it's an old track surface. And if you're to walk the track down below the corkscrew, there's just aggregate missing out of like the main, main line on the racetrack. And so it just choose tires up. Um, and when you're the leading car, you don't have to worry about, you know, really laying the, the power down on the exits of turns, whatnot, uh, to stay close enough to make a move. And you just kind of control what's going on behind you. And those last few laps, uh, what was going on in your mind? Cause you have such a huge gap and kind of as you start to realize, wow, I'm going to be an Indy Lights winner as long as I don't screw this up. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if you remember, but 2019, I was in a similar-ish situation in Indy Pro 2000, and Kyle Kirkwood was in second. I was in first. And I think I had like around a three-second lead or something, and I ended up giving it up in some of the last few laps of the the race and finishing second behind him. So um, I've been in that position before. And like, I knew how to handle it a lot better now because of it. But, uh, my engineer was feeding me the numbers on the radio. It's like, Hey, halfway through the race, you're four seconds up. Uh, think about the tires, like make sure you're saving everything. And at that time I'm like, I am saving everything. Like I'm really driving slow and they're just falling off. And so, uh, it was really cool to see like the difference between a race where, um, you know, you're struggling a little bit versus just absolute dominance. And like, I used four seconds of push to pass up until like the last three laps of the race. And so on the radio coverage, you can actually hear it, but, uh, I started using the push to pass and my engineer, he came on and he's like, Hey, uh, there's no reason to use push to pass here. Gap is nine and a half seconds. Don't worry about it. 
And I got back on the radio a few turns later. I'm like, hey, uh, it's more fun that way, though. And he said, that may be so, but let's just finish the race. So I had like 130 seconds left to push to pass at the end of the race still. And so I just was kind of cruising out there. I mean, 11 seconds is pretty dominant. And there came a point during the race where I checked my mirror going up the hill to the, to the corkscrew there, and I couldn't see a car. So all I knew is that if I don't drive it off into a wall, I'll be fine here. Like I, I couldn't have asked for a much better race than that. And I know obviously the corkscrew is probably one of the more fun, I guess, one and a half turns. I don't know what, how many turns <laughs> it is, but what's the, I guess, going through every time, like what's that feeling like going through the corkscrew and especially, I mean, is that the toughest area of Laguna Seca or is there another spot that, you know, that I didn't mention before? Yeah. I mean, obviously the corkscrew is legendary. Um, and it's probably one of the most fun places on the racetrack just because it's a blind turn and you got to drop off of almost three stories, I think, uh, by the second part of that turn, that, that one and a half part of the turn. Um, and I don't know if that's the most difficult, but definitely like the three, four five section I found to be quite exciting because the car is very free and loose at Laguna Seca. And so there was times I'd go through turn five and I felt like, Doc Hudson or something from cars and I'd turn left on the turn in and then I would have right hand down steering the whole rest of the turn. So it was like the whole turn right to go left. And I felt so cool, but it was quick. And so it's just like, that's how you had to drive the car during the whole race there. And then, um, the turn nine section after the corkscrew is absolutely insane as well, because you're almost flat out and it's still very much downhill, but it's banked. And so like, there's a lot of understeer happening in the car until you get to the exit. And there's usually a big snap that happens. Um, and that's just from all the buildup of the wheel in the middle of the turn, it loads the front tires and all of a sudden the rear end breaks loose. And so there's a lot of different things that go on at Laguna Seca to make it difficult. But I think, uh, the course crew is by far the most fun section. I think anywhere, I think anyone would agree with me there that it's just, it's such a unique corner that there's nothing to compare to it. So it just makes it that much more fun. You had a lot of family there. You mentioned, uh, you know, just cause it's the West coast, uh, just how enjoyable is that for you to see and everyone this, you know, score and a win, you know, in front of them as well. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It couldn't have been that much better of a weekend. I mean, we had the big Idaho potato truck there. They finally got to come to a race. <laughs> um, so we got to like, uh, do a little promo with them and I actually got in the driver's seat of that and we did a little, uh, video with the California Highway Police. Oh, you pulled over. Yeah, yep. Yep, yep. And they wrote up like a, a ticket for me and handed it to me. So it was fun. We had a lot of fun that weekend. And um, definitely, I think that having family and friends there during a race weekend, I don't know if it takes the pressure off as much as it just adds enjoyment. So I can have a little bit more fun during the race weekend. And I guess looking back on just, I mean, after the win and just, you know, kind of how much self-reflection was there knowing that, you know, last year it was a little bit of a tougher year, you know, getting introduced in Indy lights and now, you know, kind of looking back and wow, I'm, you know, I've reached this, you know, point in my career. Yeah. Um, you know, the win, the emotions from the win, I think were kind of nullified because it's a doubleheader weekend. Mm. And so I knew I had a job the next day as well. Um, so it took a, a little bit out of the, the joy there, but it was still kind of a relief of, yeah, I can do this. I can win a race. Um, and I don't think that I had that questioning as much this year as like you said, I did last year. Um, just because even the first race weekend, St. Petersburg this season, 
it seemed like we had the pace and we had the ability to run at the front um, way more so than I did last year. And, you know, in off-season testing, I was first, second, third in most of the test sessions. And, um, you know, I, I've been consistently at the front throughout the season, uh, knocking on the door of the win. And so it wasn't really a matter of if I was going to get a win. It was when I was going to get the win. I just thought it'd be a lot sooner. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's definitely good for my confidence to walk away from this season with my stock value a little bit higher just from that that victory and uh, qualifying on pole and then the second place the second day there. And obviously you finished up the weekend strong, finishing second there. Uh, I guess looking down, I guess, towards the latter half of the season, um, I mean, you had, what I think, like sixth in Iowa, sixth or fifth in was it Milwaukee? You're not Milwaukee. God, I, ho- I hope they go Saint, back there. St. Yeah, Louis. Yeah, St. Louis. Yep. Um, yeah. And just looking back down, I guess where did where do you feel was that kind of point of, um, like where you felt that, like the championship pros probably out of hand just because of Lundquist's pace down the stretch. Um, I think it was Detroit that I really started to feel it. Um, you know, I had a double double header weekend there and came out of the gate really strong and was P one in practice. And then something happened in qualifying and we just missed out on a little bit of pace um, to the HMD guys. And that was really frustrating because I thought we had the car to run at the front. And I don't know if it was just the colder conditions in the morning during qualifying or yellow flags or lap traffic or whatever else. I mean, there's so many variables that go into that, but um, I was making a move during the race for P two on Benjamin Peterson and, locked up the rear tires and hit the wall. And I think that was the moment where I realized like, man, that mistake, I think just cost me a run at the championship. And that was like the first time the momentum shifted because I thought we had more pace during the race there um, than even Linus did. And he kind of walked away with the win. So I think that if I could have, you know, not hit the wall and had a run at him it made have, um, you know, put a little wedge in his momentum there and maybe shifted towards us. But I mean, hindsight, being 2020, you know, you, you see a lot more afterwards. And I, I'm happy with second in the championship, but I think there's always that desire to win. And I know we didn't get to talk about this before, but um, like Nashville, I, I remember watching that race and that battle with uh, Hunter McElray. I, and I know you're pretty animated <laughs> on the radio about that. I, I've been wanting to ask you, like, what was that battle like? Cause it, since we're going through, you know, I guess the season overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Nashville was, I mean, to start that track is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. And I think we see that during the Indy car race when, you know, there's, I, I don't even know how many cars didn't finish that race. Probably 10 cars were crashed out in various parts of the racetrack. Um, and I think that, you know, battling with a teammate especially makes it that much more difficult because you, you want to see a good clean race between you and your teammate. But at that point during the championship, we're, we're fighting for second. And we both want to do very well. And Hunter's very aggressive and he's a very talented driver. So, um, you know, that, that moment that we had, you know, before that I was being animated on the radio, you say that, but I, I laughed because all of my radio communication seems like it was broadcasted this year. And I wonder <laughs> yeah. if it's just because I'm the only driver that's not cussing other drivers out on the radio, but, um, anyways, Which is a I good think thing. it's just funny. Yeah, it could be a good thing, but I don't know. It's funny. I'm like, finally, just use someone else. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to talk anymore on the radio. Anyway, so uh, it's kind of fun, though. I mean, um, having that that much activity during the race, we were like the the main battle going on there, it seemed like. And, you know, that one moment on the back straightaway where, you know, I had full left hand down, crossed up steering, trying not to hit the wall. And I didn't realize, actually, that we had made contact with my front wing and here his 
rear tire um, just because I was so focused on the wall. I thought that I was for sure going to crash, um, ended up saving it. And then um, he, he actually broke fairly early for the corner. And I think that he may have gave me, given me the position after seeing like how close we were um, thinking that he might get the penalty instead of taking the penalty, he just decided to give me the position. So uh, I think that was smart on his part, but I wish we would have had a little bit cleaner race to start and had a better run at Linus. I mean, I think I closed probably seven seconds, uh, maybe a little less in those last few laps of the race, just because of raw pace to the HMD cars. Now, I guess just on the lines of, I guess, car control I, overall this season, how, what have you learned just with car control overall with these Indy lights car with the, with a new, you know, with, with another season under your belt in them? Yeah, I think it's just comfort level. You know, I've got a lot more experience in the car, especially to the different tracks and, um, we had a lot of off-season testing time this year compared to my 2021 season. And that just allowed me to, you know, be able to take risks um, that I might not otherwise be able to in a sense that I, I don't have to worry about losing a second during the race. Like I can practice, lose a second in practice and say, okay, that did not work. Um, and then go from there. But um, like I said, I think it's just being, being comfortable in the car. And uh, historically, it seems like I'm a better second-year driver than I am a first-year driver. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm getting better at that and adapting more to the car sooner. Um, but it just seems like this year during the, at least the street courses, I was much more comfortable. I, I felt way more at home in the car. I felt like I was uh, more in a rhythm and I finally like felt fully engaged when we got to Laguna Seca, obviously with that win, um, there wasn't much, much more that I think that we could have done to have been, been quicker there. I guess looking back on Laguna Seca, what did you do afterwards? I know you mentioned just with you know not not being able to focus too much, you know, on I guess the triumph and victory because you had a second race the next day. But how did you celebrate afterwards? You know, it's funny is I don't I don't even really remember. All I remember is we went to dinner that night um, with some friends and family. We we did a group dinner every single night with at least ten of us. Um, so that was really fun to like have people that I know and love at the racetrack with us and then celebrating afterwards. But uh, I went back to the hotel at like 7.30 p.m. and just looked at video and data for like an hour and a half because I knew that there was still a little bit of room to improve and I wanted to make sure that we were adapting the car appropriately for the next day. So not a lot of celebration going on when you're focused on winning the next race. Yeah. And I guess you did get, you were able to celebrate a little bit more at the, uh, the IndyCar championship, uh, banquet. How was that? Cause is that the first time you've been to that, the biggest event for, you know, I guess for championship celebration? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was the biggest IndyCar event I've been to so far. And it was so stinking cool. I mean, with Penske taking over the Indy Lights series this year, um, or IndyCar rather, it seems like there's just a lot more IndyCar influence and you start to feel more of what that IndyCar culture is like. And so going to that victory lap celebration was just more of that. And it's, it's so cool. Cause like I walk in the front door there and they have like the red carpet thing and everything else. And uh, it's, we actually did it at the IMS museum. So they had all like the cool cars there. Um, you know, they had the hundred year anniversary car of Dan Weldon's Indy 500 victory car. And then the original Mormon wasp. And I mean, it was so stinking awesome, but you know, I walk in the front door and will power standing there and I walk up and like, shake his hand. He's like, Hey, Stingray, congrats on a great year. You did a great job at the last race. I'm like, thanks, Will. You too. <laughs> like kind of a starstruck moment, but it's just cool to see. And like, I got to talk to Mr. Penske um, and Tim Sindrick and a few other people there. And it's just like, 
it, it felt natural, but at the same time, it's kind of nice to see like that little kid in me is reaching those goals and dreams of what I used to have. And you mentioned just the little kid, you know, kind of like realizing your dreams, you know, coming true. You had an IndyCar test, an official IndyCar test in July <laughs> in mid-Ohio. Uh, I guess before we get into it, how did that test go and what did you learn from it? Oh man, that test was so awesome. It was so awesome. And to do it with Andretti, um, I actually worked with my Indy Lights engineer at that test. And one of the coolest things about that whole deal, I mean, other than I'm driving an Indy car, but uh, <laughs> like side note, it, that one of the coolest things was that my uh, roommate in Indianapolis is someone that I grew up go-karting with here in Idaho together with. Um, we took him to like his first out-of-state go-kart race. His dad and my dad were very good friends. And so like we've known each other for a long time. And he was actually the guy that was strapping me into the car at my Indy car test. And so it was just like, man, we, we look back at the, the history that we've had um, coming up through the ranks. I mean, we kind of had different paths to get to the same spot, but like now he's working to, and training to be an engineer and I'm driving in IndyCar. And so, I mean, the, that test went so well. I think that it was really good to have it so close to the mid-Ohio race because I could kind of compare lap times to what Colton was doing or what Alexander was doing or what Roman was doing and really seeing what like my pace was uh, similar to and where I could improve. Um, and I think that I did a very good job. Like I kept the car in one piece um, and the pace was really, really good. And I think that the team was pretty happy with it. I mean, we only had a half a day in the car, but I think it was a good enough test that I could walk away there with a lot of comfort and uh, confidence in driving an IndyCar. And it's crazy because I remember our first ever interview was like 2021, which is weird to think that was last year. Um, but <laughs> you know, just like I remember you were talking about how much of an adjustment it was to go from an Indy Pro 2000 car to an Indy Lights car with like just like the like the force and just the like having your neck sore just from having <laughs> like a headrest in or something like that. What was that? I guess was there any transition with that into the Indy car? Or is it kind of more similar to an Indy uh, Lights car? It was definitely less of a jump from the Indy Pro. Um, or sorry, from the Indy Lights car to the Indy car compared to the Indy Pro to the Indy Lights car. Um, and I don't know if that's just because of the design of the, the cars both being Delara or if it's just we're getting to a level now where um, the Indy Lights car is actually quite a well-built vehicle. Um, and so like definitely at the end of the day, my neck was a little bit tired. And, you know, Mid-Ohio is probably one of the most physical neck tracks just because of the high G-forces in like turn one and turn 11, um, turn nine up the hill there but it actually was easier to drive. I felt like, and I don't know if that was just because of a lack of rubber down on the racetrack that day. Um, and I didn't get to run reds. I, I just ran blacks. So, um, I felt really, really good in the car. And I was actually, I, I hate to say it, but I probably was more comfortable in the Indy car than I was in the Indy lights car the week before there. And I, I was just about to, yeah, that kind of leads into the next question. I guess first lap hopping in, just what are the feelings and how, how long did it, take you to really get up to speed or is it just kind of quick and let's go yeah i definitely felt comfortable right away i mean it, it was a little bit more horsepower a little bit better braking a little bit more downforce but it, it felt like it was the indy lights car doing exactly what i wanted it to do <laughs> so it was like all the things that i wanted from the indy lights car it was doing um and it seemed like um getting up to sp speed was pretty good but you know at mid ohio it's one of those tracks where in the morning it's very dewy and that dew that sits on the racetrack makes it really, really slick. And so I was the only one out on the racetrack at that point. Um, so it probably took me 15, 20 laps just to clear the track off and get, you know, some rubber laid down. But once we did, we were, we were quick. 
And I know next year you're not you're not officially signed with Andretti for Indy Lights next year. Is that correct? No, no, I am uh, no deals yet. Okay. <laughs> I would I would assume is that obviously you know, probably the ne- the best option. Is that kind of what you're leaning towards? No, currently the option is go to IndyCar. So we're working on deals there to make the step up. Um, there are a few doors that are seeming like they're opening. I do have another IndyCar test in October here in a few weeks. Um, and then maybe one later on in the off season as well. Well, I won't dig too much because we're, we're not <laughs> trying to get into that too much uh, until we yeah. actually have, you know, but yeah, hopefully we'll hear something here soon. And, uh, you know, it's just super cool to see because, you know, it's like it just seems like you were in an Indy Pro 2000 car literally yesterday, it feels like. And now it's like Indy Lights now, <laughs> you're, you know, it's like, what's that jump? You know, and how does it feel? And how do you keep kind of, I guess, you know, like not feel like you're getting ahead of yourself, I guess, mentally and just staying like this is what God has put in front of me and I'm going to keep mm-hmm. following his path. Yeah, no, I think that I had to realize a lot of that this year is that um, I I'm enjoying the process of learning more in the car um, rather than focusing on the results. And that, that sounds cheesy because it really is. I mean, really, I want to win no matter what. And um, I think that I had to be okay with not winning before I got that first win in order to relax and just enjoy what I'm doing and like really appreciate and improve and not worry about the, the pressure of uh, am I going to win? Am I going to win? And being okay with like, no, these are the things I need to do. Let me just focus on what I need to do. And so like when you talk about being mentally prepared and focusing on what God has set before me, it's like, okay, God, what do you need me to do in this moment right now? So that in the future, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I think right now that's where my focus is, is just like doing the steps um, little by little and then being prepared once I get those opportunities to step up into an Indy car. And it's just been cool to see the journey and yeah, we're excited to continue to, you know, see it, you know, come to fruition and, uh, you know, it's just been really cool this season because it's like, oh, you know, it's like because you're watching on like Peacock or something. And you're just, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I'm like, you can now. It's like, oh, there you go. Stay. You know, it's like, it's just cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I, yeah. you know, I, and I appreciate just all of, you know, your time to come out of the show because it's like, you know, like you got a busy schedule, you know, and it's just, it's just <laughs> great to, you know, great to see and just great to continue to, you know, watch you grow just, you know, both as a driver and a person too. Yeah. No, thank you. I feel very grateful. I mean, this year was really cool. And, you know, I think one of my favorite memories from this year and like one of the first times I realized like, no, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing was at Indianapolis, uh, the doubleheader there and uh, race one or no, it was race two. Sorry. Uh, fell back on the start to like 13th. And then we had that mid race red flag because of lightning in the area, whatever else. And I'd worked my way up to eighth at that point. Um, and then it poured rain. And then once that rain delay came back and we were about, about to go on the racetrack, I started eighth ended up finishing third. And that was like one of the coolest things ever, just because it was like a realization of, man, like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like this feels very good to be where I'm at. And I, I remember that race. That was cool to see. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh wow. Stingray jumped up to third. It's like, how'd that happen? <laughs> that was cool. Um, yeah. But I guess, are you ready for some random questions? Yes. <laughs> I feel like it's been away. a little bit. All yes. right, so I found a couple, and I was like, okay, you know, like the random question generator with that duck, whatever, clean those on there. But <laughs> so I wrote down a couple. We'll see how these go. So I guess first question, I was at first I was kind of confused by, it, but I was like, okay, that'd be interesting. So what's the story behind one of your scars? Do you have any scars? First off, and if you do, what's the story behind it? I'm trying to think. So 
I, I do have a scar on my, my left hand ring finger. Um, I was a total outdoorsy kid growing up and I love to play with pocket knives and whether that was whittling with wood or sticks or just like poking bugs or whatever else. Like I always had a pocket knife. It seemed like, and I think it was my seventh birthday, uh, maybe my eighth birthday, but my aunt and uncle, um, they ended up getting me like this super cool multi-tool Swiss army knife and it was super sharp and they're like, careful, like it's super sharp. Um, and I remember I was just like admiring it one day playing with it or whatever. And I ended up slicing my finger open and I was by myself at my mom's, uh, office at her, at my parents' old grocery store. And I like freaked out because I, I could see like the bone and it was just pouring blood. Ooh, and boy. so I'm like by myself and I found a styrofoam cup and I just started draining the blood <laughs> no. into a styrofoam cup. No. I didn't know what else to do. So I did that and like wrapped paper towel around it. And then I, um, we call it green line. Like when you call over the radio at the store for someone and I like, I was like crying and I might like, held the button down. I'm like, uh, Kimmy green line, please. Kimmy green line. And that's my mom. And then uh, she got on the phone. I'm like, Hey, I think I just sliced the tip of my finger off and she came running over or whatever, but it's fine. It's still good, but I got a little bit of a scar now. <laughs> I could always have a fun memory of that. <laughs> I always yeah. look back on, I guess I have a couple random ones. I guess one I have on my shoulder because I hated needles as a kid. I'm okay with it now. Just don't, just don't yeah. try and put any IVs in me. I'm going to be oh, freaking man. out or pass I'm, out. I'm with you. I don't do needles either at all. <laughs> like I, oh gosh, I remember the one time yeah, I was at like they had to, I had to give blood or for something because they were checking some random level or something. But it was like the weirdest thing because like I was half, almost ninety percent of the way down to taking blood, and then all of a sudden I'm I looked out and I'm just like, oh gosh, <laughs> just pass out. And then you so you know you wake up, you feel cold, and you're you just you don't even oh, know what's man. happening. You're like gagging. You're like, and you're like, I'm like, what am I doing this for? But. I'm not the scar, but anyway. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I was, it was three or four. It was around the time when um or no, that's the second part of the story. So basically I had to go get a shot. And they ended up having to have three nurses try and hold me down, little three-year-old oh, David, my. try and put a little shot in the arm, you know, whatever. That's not too bad, you think about it. But then I screamed <laughs> so much flailed that I still have a like long scar on my shoulder to this day. And <laughs> and I guess my mom felt so bad that she got me a Buzz Lightyear toy, like a whole <laughs> like fun Buzz Lightyear thing. And I'm like, that's cool. That was all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> but little random thing. But that's it's funny. worth it. <laughs> Man. But um, let's see. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? The worst movie I've ever seen. Oh man, I don't even know. I don't think I have an answer to that one. Um I don't know. Let's hear yours and maybe I'll think of something. Oh, mm. yeah. I was, I thought about this, but I, mm. um, yeah, this is tough. Um, it's like, cause I feel like a lot of movies you can give the benefit of the doubt to them. Um, I guess I'll go Disney or something. Yeah. Um, Do you like horror movies at all? Oh gosh. No, nope. Nope. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So my, I think my, least favorite movie ever i watched paranormal paranormal activity with my uh, stepbrothers one time and like i had no idea what i was thinking watching this i think i was nine or ten and i just screamed into a pillow the whole entire time so i was so scared and then it was like two o'clock in the morning and i have to go to bed after that and so i i don't think i slept for a couple nights after i watched that movie it was terrible 
there's no way i i even just watching <laughs> commercials i'm i like you feel like you're gonna have nightmares like the way they just jump scare you it's i don't know if you've seen it or not i haven't seen that but there's no, no way. i have not remember when they had those scary clown things around like the country where they'd be random clowns standing on the side of the road or something oh like, man remember that time it was yeah i do i don't like him i i don't do horror movies or anything like yeah. that it's not my gig yeah no i i guess i can't think of anything so probably horror movies in general <laughs> <laughs> well here's a good one i guess in lieu of all these um great events going on what's your go-to dance move uh i can do the worm yeah worm? that's my go-to okay. yeah like where you do the roll with your body you know how in the world is that possible i don't know but i've i learned it when i was like six or seven years old and now every time i go to a wedding i have to break it out and show it off to everyone <laughs> <laughs> i feel like the only thing i have i don't know like this upcoming weekend is going to be the first wedding i've really actually been a part of technically oh, really? but I guess I'm gonna probably have to break out like that, or I don't know, like something quirky. You know, you can always go the the hitch moves where they do like the Q-tips and throw, Q-tip and throw, <laughs> and the sprinkler. You know, yeah, that's true. Those yeah. are always good go-to's. <laughs> I have like two new dance moves over here. <laughs> Look out, world! Um, and it actually looks like we only have six minutes left because I don't have the full version of Zoom, so we'll make this quick. Um, <laughs> figures um throw it back to high school cross country i thought of this a couple minutes ago do you remember any meets in particular that just didn't go well from start to finish all of them they were all, all terrible i only so i actually joined like halfway through the season so there was only three meets left before districts when i ran and like the first one it was a pretty easy course i thought it was slightly hilly through like a, a college campus and i just remember like I had never been a runner before I ran cross country my freshman year. And this kid that passed me like halfway through the race, I looked at him and I'm like, there's no way this kid is passing me right now. Just because like general build, you know, I'm stereotyping or whatever else. But as a freshman, I thought that I was in good shape. I'm like the athlete. And I was just ashamed of myself at the end of that race. when I saw who finished ahead of me. I mean, I was like last place um anyways so yeah they they were all pretty sad for me wait didn't you make districts though i did make districts but not not because i was super good i just got lucky (laughs) (laughs) i mean i I feel like my fastest is like 16 seconds away from districts and i'm forever just gonna think about that and be like man i was 16 (laughs) seconds away i'm gonna sprint a little bit quick yeah a little bit farther but um i guess I, i don't know if i mentioned this before but yeah like sophomore year yeah sophomore year i had it was like rain and downpouring the entire morning it was like one of those invitationals where you're almost 10 million schools are there and like i'm not feeling too good you know like you feel like upper respiratory stuff you're like sneezing you're coughing you feel like uh bloated in the head so then oh my goodness my my coach is just like just go david you're fine so i run 3.1 miles and then realize when i go to the the doctor the next day that yeah you got bronchitis <laughs> fantastic <laughs> so that's yeah that's probably worst experience but yeah it's funny i actually had similar experience playing basketball um my freshman year we only had about eight guys on the team and so i was playing the whole entire game like no breaks and our coach he was pretty hard on me and he'd make me run a lot to like keep me in shape and uh, ready to go during the season and so 
there was one practice I showed up to and I'm like, man, coach, like I cannot breathe. And he's like, Oh, you're fine. Like keep going. You know, same thing as your coach said. And we had to run like down and backs and um, you know, we're shooting free throws for down and backs and everything else. And that was like one of the worst conditioning practices that we had all year. And I'm like, man, I cannot breathe. Like my lungs feel full. I, I feel like heavy. And I ended up going to the doctor a couple of days later because I had to wait till the game the next day. And, uh, we, we did our game. I played the whole game and I didn't come out one time. And I went just to the doctor like the following Monday and uh, they're like, yeah, you have bronchitis, strep throat and a sinus infection. Ooh. I was like getting beat up. And so anyways, I was like already on the, the upswing after that. But like, man, no wonder I was feeling heavy and slow and out of breath. I had three things wrong with me. That was brutal. I thought strep throat itself by itself was like terrible enough. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not, not a good day. I felt bad for the guys that I was playing with. Cause I know that, you know, I got at least a couple of guys sick playing basketball with them, but Oh, well blame the coach on that one. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, that's all the time we have today. Look out for the next episode of behind the helmet here soon. Who knows when that'll be, but we'll make time for it at some point. Uh, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at behind catch. And where can the fans follow you stingray? I'm on most social medias at stingray Rob. And I think Twitter's at sting underscore Ray underscore Rob. And then my website just got updated. So stingrayrob.com. Do we have merchandise yet? Not yet. It is coming though. Any day now. Man, I gotta like get that as soon as possible. Come on. <laughs> uh, but hopefully we'll get some merch here soon. And uh thank you guys for tuning in and we'll uh see you guys on the flippity flip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.